0: Good morning and blessed Sunday. As always, it's a blessing to learn from God's word together and be refreshed in our faith, in all that he's doing in our lives. Today, we're going to look at the dramatic encounter that Jacob had with God, where he dreamt a vision of God and his angels on a stairway between heaven and earth. This was the encounter that would change uh, Jacob's life direction and bring him into a covenant relationship with God. But first, let's commit this time to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of learning from your word, we pray that you fill us with the Holy Spirit and grant us the transformation, the conviction, and the hope that we need. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The big idea for today is that an encounter with God is an invitation to a life-changing relationship with him. Last week, Pastor Shen preached on Jacob and his character flaws, especially his inclination for scheming and double-dealing that outwitted his elder brother Esau for his birthright and tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing intended for Esau. Jacob was clearly a cunning manipulator and talented schemer. But as Pastor Shen pointed out last week, God was sovereign over all the character flaws and imperfections of Jacob. From the beginning, God, by his sovereign choice, had intended that Jacob would be the one who inherited the uh, covenant promises first given to Abraham. In in other words, uh, Jacob was next in line to inherit God's covenant promise after Abraham and Isaac. As we saw on previous occasions, God has been faithful through all the years to ensure that his promises to Abraham will continue to progress in the face of obstacles and challenges, not least the obstacles brought about by the mistakes and character flaws of Abraham's family. We also saw previously that it is is important for each generation uh, to pass on the legacy of faith for the next generation or to the next generation. For example, we saw how Abraham was adamant that Isaac did not marry one of the women of the surrounding Canaanite tribes, but sent his servant back to his native hometown to find a suitable wife from his own extended family clan. This was to ensure that their faith relationship with God was not corrupted or diluted by competing religious obligations of the Canaanite tribes if such intermarriage were to occur. However, just as it was important for Abraham and Isaac to pass on the legacy of faith, it was equally important for Jacob to encounter and experience God at a personal level. From his time with his family, Jacob must have heard of how God first appeared to his grandfather, uh, Abraham, and all the wonderful provision and works of God to ensure that the family went through all the challenges they faced he must have heard about the, uh, from Isaac about the dramatic uh, day uh, when uh, Abraham laid Isaac uh, on the altar to sacrifice him, only to be stopped at the last moment by the angel of the Lord. Jacob would have also likely heard from his mother, Rebecca, how Abraham's servant appeared one day in her native hometown and how God must have impressed upon her and gave her the courage agree to travel to Canaan to marry Isaac. These testimonies were part of the legacy of faith, of how God had always acted faithfully for Abraham's family. Jacob's character and personality, however, suggest that he was he very much trusted in his own schemes and plans to get ahead in life and to gain every possible advantage uh, in each situation. Jacob needed a life-changing encounter with God and to discover that only a faith relationship with God would provide the stability and security he seemed to be always scheming for. The latest scheme he pulled off with the help of his mother to trick Isaac into giving him the blessing instead of Esau was the final straw that broke the camel's back. Esau was understandably outraged by the deceit of his brother and vowed to kill uh, Jacob at a suitable time. As a result, Jacob had to flee his home to escape his brother's vengeance. The plan was for Jacob to seek shelter with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, in Haran, the native hometown of Rebekah. On his journey, he stopped at a certain place where Jacob had an encounter with God that would change the direction of his life. Starting from Genesis chapter 28, verse 11, we read, When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, which is top reaching to heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jacob had a dramatic vision of a stairway that breached between heaven and earth. The passage goes on to say that he actually saw God himself appeared and spoke to him. It was as if the realm of heaven opened and overlapped with earth, and that the glory of God's presence visited Jacob in his sleep. Earlier in the Genesis story, you may recall Dr. Ku preached on the Tower of Babel where sinful humanity tried to build a structure to reach into heaven, a portal, if you will, to gain access to God's realm. And God threw that particular enterprise into confusion by dividing their language and dispersing them so that they could not carry out their presumptuous attempt to control access to heaven. Here, however, when Jacob was on the run and fearful over his fate, God graciously comes to him. When humanity acted presumptuously, their plans were overthrown into confusion. But when Jacob was in desperate need, access to heaven was opened up to him. And God spoke to Jacob in his desperate hour. The words of promise and assurance which we will look a little bit more detail later. Essentially, however, God renews his promise, covenant promise to Jacob and assures him that God himself will watch over him and bring him back safely to the promised land. In response, Jacob steps nearer to a personal covenant relationship with God. In Genesis 28 verse 20 to 21, we read that then Jacob makes a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Some have noted that Jacob, true to his nature, is trying to bargain with God here, to put preconditions of satisfaction before committing to a covenant relationship. This is then uh, contrasted with the faith of Abraham, who did not set any preconditions, but obeyed in faith when God called him to leave his native home for Canaan. In this view, then, Jacob is trying to do a deal with God instead of accepting by faith what God has promised. Perhaps another perspective here is possible. Jacob was on the run for his life and desperate his words could be seen as an earnest vow to commit to a covenant relationship in response to the desperately needed assurance that God had just provided. Instead of merely, you know, instead of just merely trying to strike a bargain or set conditions, Jacob's plea and vow could be part of entering into a covenant relationship where the obligations and the roles of each party are spelled out. To take another example, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we see Hannah making a vow to God that if she can have a son, she will commit him to the service of the Lord. In any case, the encounter with God changes the trajectory of Jacob's life. It was the first step in a journey of transformation for Jacob. He certainly did not become perfect overnight. But God works in his life as he goes through the struggles, the frustrations, and fears in the years ahead. As we saw last week, God's plans work through very imperfect people and situations. And through his encounter with God, we see that God transforms Jacob's life direction in three key areas. God's promise renewed, God's presence reaffirmed, and lastly, God's provision. Released First, Jacob's life was transformed by having God's promises renewed to him at a personal level. Earlier in Abraham's life, God had already declared that his covenant promise will be for Abraham's descendants as well. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, God said to Abraham, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. In last week's sermon, we saw that God had already chosen Jacob over Esau as the one who would inherit the covenant promises. Nonetheless, Jacob must experience God at a Personal level, so that these promises become embedded in his life. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 13, God promised Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And the following verse goes to say that Jacob's descendants would be widespread and numerous, and will be used by God to be a blessing to the peoples of the earth. These are the covenant promises first given to Abraham and then passed on to Isaac. Even though God is the God of his grandfather, Abraham, and his father, Isaac, Jacob must personally come into a covenant relationship with God. He must encounter God for himself and receive the covenant promises. Jacob couldn't just depend on his grandfather's or father's covenant relationship with with God and their faith with God. He must come into his own relationship with God. Earlier, when we looked at Abraham's life of faith, we saw that trust and belief in God's unchanging faithfulness are needed to sustain our faith through the changing circumstances of life. At this point of Jacob's life, Desperate, exiled from home, and on the run for his life, he too must come to believe in God's faithfulness to his promises. God's word, God's promise, must be the bedrock of his life as he faced vast uncertainties and difficult challenges in the years ahead. In the same way, we need God's word, his promises as the key foundation and guiding reference as we face times of personal crisis or or massive uncertainties as we do in Malaysia and the rest of the world in this continuing pandemic. In times of crisis and fearful uncertainty, there are no easy answers or solutions or clear decision paths. But the one thing we must have is the certainty of God's word and promises. Most of you must know or have heard about the miracle on the Hudson, where in 2009, a US Airways twin engine plane, uh, piloted by Captain Sully and his co pilot, uh, hit a flock of geese shortly after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport in New York. I learned something about the decision making of Captain Sully in a, in a talk I viewed online recently. The bird strike took out both engines of the plane, turning the plane with 155 people into a glider, essentially. There were were several key hard decisions for the pilots to make. First, Captain Sully tried to turn back to the original airport, but he quickly decided that they couldn't make it back. Next, he asked for alternative options, mentioning a nearby airport called Titaboro. The traffic air controller took about half a minute to secure an emergency landing at Titaboro airport. But in that short space of time, 30 seconds or so, Captain Sully replied that they were unable to make it, concluding that we are going to be in the Hudson, meaning the Hudson River that runs between New York and New Jersey. How did Captain Sully make that critical decision? Exact calculations were too complex to make in that short of a time. He needed to have the velocity, the altitude, the rate of the stem, the descent angle, and others to make the correct calculations. He simply did not have the time to make those calculations. In fact, he did not make use of all of that data from the cockpit. Instead, Captain Sully apparently made his decision using a single crucial point of reference. When your plane is gliding in a particular path of descent, or when you put it in the shallowest path of descent, look out the window. Anything that you can see above your field of vision are places you cannot reach. Anything that is below your field of vision are places that you can reach by gliding. And with that crucial guiding reference, Captain Salim made the momentous decision to ditch the plane on the Hudson River, saving the lives of everyone on board. When the National Safety Board ran and studied simulations of the flight path later, they agreed with uh, Captain Sully's decision, noting that attempts to return to LaGuardia, the original airport, or to land at the nearby Titterboro airport would have likely resulted in disaster. A lot of times in life we don't have clear-cut answers. Neither do we have all the information available to have certainty. Life itself, is uncertain. That being the case, the certainty of God's word and the strength of his promises must be that crucial a reference point and stability of our lives as believers. Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. God's eternal words spoken to us through scripture and specifically the word that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ about our hope, destiny, and salvation are the crucial guiding references in our lives to all of life's uncertainties. Previously, we saw how Abraham decided to choose a wife from, for Isaac from his original hometown instead of the more practical and uh, possibly advantageous options of securing marriage alliances with the local Canaanite tribes. With God's promises as his guiding reference, Abraham made the choice that best reflected God's plans and purposes for his family. For Jacob, God was true to his promise of watching over Jacob in all his years working for his uncle Laban. And in Genesis chapter 31, God will use his promise and assurance to prompt Jacob to take the decision to return to Canaan after 20 years of being away. Having the certainty of God's promises and word with us does not remove the uncertainties of life. Neither are we always spared from suffering and setbacks. But the certainty of God's word and the unfailing strength of his promises assures us that God's plans and purposes are still being actively worked out in our lives and through our lives. We can rely on God's word as the most critical, crucial guiding reference in our lives as we navigate the challenges of uncertain times and personal crisis. Now, we still need to manage and deal with the practical realities around us. If we are dealing with an engineering problem, uh, we obviously need engineering expertise to help us. If we are running a factory or a business, we need business, operational or financial acumen or expertise to help us. And if we are dealing with a medical problem, we certainly need medical expertise to help us. But we must be clear and honest to ourselves whether God's word is the foundation of our lives and the crucial guiding reference in how we live our lives. Second, Jacob's life was transformed by having God's presence reaffirmed to him at a personal level. For Jacob, God's presence must be personally experienced so that he can endure all the challenges and hardships ahead of him. As we saw previously, God's promises to Abraham's family centered on the land of Canaan. This was the promised land for Abraham's descendants. This was so ingrained for Abraham that he was adamant that uh, Isaac never leaves Canaan to go back to his native hometown to find a wife. He sends a servant instead, if you can recall from the previous sermon. Now, however, Jacob was fleeing this land of promise because of his own scheming. He must flee for his life from the vengeance of his elder brother. In effect, Jacob has to go into exile from the promised land. Since God's promises are centered on the land of Canaan, the crucial question at this point of Jacob's life is whether God's presence will remain with him as he flees the promised land. The people of that time seemed to believe that their gods had some uh, territorial jurisdiction so that one god could be the deity of a particular city or region, for example. Different tribes could have their own household idols, but they had to pay homage to the dominant deity of a particular territory that they were in. Against this possible background, today's passage helps answer the question, is the god of Abraham and Isaac only dominant in the promised land of Canaan? Or is he dominant and sovereign everywhere? Of course, readers of Genesis would know that from Genesis chapter 1, uh, the God of the Bible is the sovereign creator of all heaven and earth. And as such, the, the territorial preoccupations of the other religions do not appear, apply to God. Therefore, God's promise of his presence to Jacob reinforces the understanding of God for Jacob and his descendants that God is sovereign everywhere. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, God says to Jacob, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And God was true to his word. We will see in the coming chapters how Jacob endured hard labor under his uncle Laban, who, by the way, was also a shrewd and cunning man. In other words, Jacob met his match uh, at the cunning schemes of his uncle. But in the end, Jacob recognized that it was God's presence with him that protected him and preserved his welfare. In Genesis 31, verse 6 to 7, Uh, Jacob tells his wives, you know that I worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages 10 times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. Later on in Genesis 31 verse 42, uh, Jacob says to Laban directly to his face, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would have surely sent me away empty-handed. God's presence with Jacob was life-changing. God guarded and preserved Jacob throughout his hardships and struggles, working for his uncle when he traveled back, and when he traveled back to Canaan to face his brother, Esau. Encountering God's presence transforms our outlook and direction of our lives. Some of us are following the Bible in One Year Daily Devotions by Nikki Gumbel. In one of the recent devotions, Nikki tells the story of uh, Stephen Lungo of Zimbabwe. He was born into a dysfunctional family, and his mother abandoned him and his younger siblings on the streets when he was just three or four years old. At age 11, he ran away from the care of his aunt and lived on the streets and got involved with violent gangs. Stephen grew up angry and bitter at God. And if we were trying to counsel him, most of us would probably have written him off as a lost cause. But in a decisive encounter, God's presence made all the difference and completely changed the direction of Stephen's life. One day, Stephen and his gang were going to firebomb and attack a church 10 evangelistic meeting. However, as they sat at the the back of the church, things uh, began to change for Stephen. As the preacher spoke about the life of Jesus, uh, Stephen started to cry. He dropped his gun and bombs and came up to the preacher to ask for mercy. Later that night, he came before God and asked, what must I do? And felt that God reached out to him. The next day, he surrendered to the police and confessed all the crimes and was integrated for eight hours. And then Stephen recounted, uh, after eight hours, they said, if your Jesus has forgiven you, we forgive you too. An encounter with God's presence changed the direction of Stephen's life. He shares that, I never used to laugh until when I accepted Jesus at the age of 20. That was the first time I laughed. God used Stephen powerfully in the work of evangelism. He has travelled across Africa to preach the gospel to thousands. Sadly, Stephen passed away earlier this year after a brief battle with COVID at the age of 78 and leaves behind a wife, five children and many grandchildren. But Stephen's life is a powerful testimony of encountering God's presence through his son Jesus in a desperate and hopeless state, and from that point being used by God to impact thousands of lives. Stephen's life is also a reminder that we often encounter God's presence in unexpected ways and in less than perfect circumstances. Often, it is in very troubling circumstances that God comes to us with unexpected favor, grace, and provision. Stephen was full of murderous hate when he encountered Jesus for the first time. He wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus found him instead in his hour of need. In today's passage, Jacob was the self-confident manipulator and cunning schemer, but one that was fleeing for his life and facing an unknown future away from family and home. Uh, Jacob wasn't looking for a spiritual experience or inspiration. He was down and out fearful, anxious, and likely tired from traveling when he stopped at that place, which he would name Bethel, It was only after encountering God that Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Jacob encounters God on the run, in a place of desperation, and received God's gracious assurance that God's presence will go with him into an unknown situation. What is your place of need today? The unwelcome situation where you would rather not be. Perhaps this is your place of encounter with a gracious God where you would find and experience unexpected blessings and mercy where you will be filled with God's unmerited favor. The primary call for us today is to experience God through His Son, Jesus. Only through Jesus would we experience the fullness of God's presence to secure us, save us, and change the whole direction of our lives. It is only in Jesus we come to repentance. The word means a change of life direction, a turning away from the old life to a new one, a new life-changing experience with God. And if we are indeed in that place of unexpected encounter with God, have we responded to his invitation for a life-changing experience with him? Third, Jacob's life was transformed by having God's provision released to him at a personal level. Jacob was heading to an unknown land with an unknown and uncertain future. Through all the challenges ahead, he would discover that circumstances can never outstrip God's gracious provision. Jacob was the type of person who enjoys the resources at the home days. He liked to work and spend time at the home side of things. as as opposed to his brother Esau, who liked to go out and hunting, was clearly built for the rough and rugged outdoors. But because he is effectively on the run, home comforts and security that he was previously accustomed to are no longer with him. Yes, he might have at least the comfort of going to his uncle, a close relation, but Jacob couldn't know ahead of time how he would be treated and received by his uncle's family. Uh, To be sure, he couldn't presume that he'll get the privileges of a son and the favor of his mother that he enjoyed back home. In his vow to God, which we will see in a moment, uh, Jacob betrays his fears and anxiety about his uncertain future, whether he would have the security and provisions to make a living and perhaps build something for his future. But when God appeared to Jacob and promised to go with him and watch over him, Jacob clearly understood that God is also speaking to through his, through his fears and anxieties. Where God is present, his provisions are also released to those who have faith and trust in him. In other words, when we live under God's promise, God's presence and provisions are assured to us on a daily basis to meet the needs of our present situation. In his vow to God in uh, Genesis 28, verse 20 to 21, Jacob says, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. There are situations in life that we may feel tremendous pressure, fear or anxiety. We feel as though we have been thrown out from our place of security and comfort that we have been sidetracked, displaced, or removed far from the place of God's promises. Sometimes it's due to our own sin and mistakes. Other times it's due to circumstances or events beyond our control. Jacob's story today reminds us that God works powerfully through imperfect people and imperfect situations. We may feel and experience that we are desperately on the run, trying to flee our problems, or that we are knocked off course, that we are far away from the center of God's will or promises. We need to hear again God's word for us today. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, to this place of God's promises. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God's promise, God's presence, and God's provision will bring us through the struggles and uncertainties we face. By encountering God and experiencing His presence, our lives are transformed in the midst of the storm and through the darkest hour. You know, the vision of the stairway of heaven that Jacob dreamt about is also something to remind us of the unseen reality of heaven for a child of God today. Most of us may not actually have such a dramatic vision or dream, but it is a reality. God's glorious presence is not far away. In fact, God's presence lives in us through the Holy Spirit. May you encounter the presence of the living God, be secured by the word of his promise and be nourished by his provision in your place of need today. I'd like to pray for all of us at this point of time. Some of us here may not have had the opportunity to personally respond to the invitation of God to a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus. I'd like to Uh, open up this invitation to do even at at this moment to open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and and call him your Lord and Savior. There are many of us here who may be also going through a very difficult and challenging time and we need to hear the word of the Lord for us that his presence, his uh, promises, his provision are still with us to bring us through the uncertain times ahead. Let's come before the Lord right now and bow our heads in prayer. I'd like to invite you now, if you haven't accepted the invitation of the Lord, that you open your heart even right now and call upon the name of Jesus to forgive you your sins and to be your Lord and Savior. I'd like to call upon all of us who are burdened a struggle, a personal crisis, or a difficult situation at work or in our family life. to place that burden right now at the feet of the throne of grace. Father, you know all who are opening up their hearts to you right now, who are calling upon you, O Lord, for salvation, for forgiveness, for mercy, for deliverance. I pray, O gracious God, that you pour out your love and you pour out your Holy Spirit so that they will know that they are loved by you and they will experience a special encounter with your presence this very hour, that they will come to know your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. Father, I want to pray, Father, for all of us bringing before your throne of grace all the burdens that we carry all the struggles that we are going through right now, all the fears and anxieties of our present circumstances. Father, help us remember, Lord, that you are sovereign everywhere, in every situation. Your presence is powerfully experienced through very difficult circumstances. I pray, O oh Lord, that even as we put our burdens before you, that you will secure us by your promise, the strength and unfailing love of your goodness and mercy for us. And that your hand will bring us the provision, the deliverance, the help, the wisdom, the healing that we need for this present hour. Lord, we surrender all these things to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise be to the name of the Lord that hears our cries in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In conclusion, I want you to know that God invites us to a personal experience and relationship with him. Be ready to receive all that God wants us to experience through a living relationship with him. And finally, to seek a personal experience and encounter with God through prayer, scripture and personal devotion, so that we might experience his presence through the daily circumstances of life. I'd like to bring you also uh, some personal uh, reflection and discussion questions that you might want to do on your own or with your small group. Uh, question number one, reflect and share on times where you have been you have experienced God through scripture, a strong conviction that he laid upon you, or through family, friends, and circumstances. Number two, discuss why is it why it is important for us to experience God at the personal level and not just as an as a intellectual belief system or teaching. And finally, uh, number three, reflect and share on how God is changing your life based on a personal faith experience with him. The Lord bless you and watch over you in the coming week.